Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. Today we're going to talk about the rise of ABM, an interesting and hot topic for many B2B marketeers since ABM is on everybody's lips. And we have an expert on this topic with us here today in Rias Kanani, who's the CEO and founder of Radiate B2B. Welcome to our podcast, Rias. Thanks. Really good to be here and always happy to talk about ABM. Um, yeah, awesome. And so am I. So, so stoked to, to dive into ABM and listen to your insights and your story around this area. But maybe before we, you know, start talking about that, maybe you can give us a an, an background, who you are and what do you do? Sure. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, for my sins, I've spent 20 plus years in... Um, marketing either on the technology side or on the agency side um, and um, you know we, we I was involved in the early days of marketing automation when those platforms launched um, I'd sold my business to Silverpop and eventually that business exited to IBM and actually at that point I I said I was not going to do any more startups I was not going to stay in marketing technology um, and I was going to go and do something else um, it felt like a lot longer, but but only four years later, I went back to do a startup, and then another two years after that, I launched Radiate. So Radiate's been going five years, and it was probably the only the only thing that would actually bring me back is is that basically the way we do B two B marketing, I think, is going to completely change. It already it's already started. You know, the the rise of ABM is it's it's no longer. I don't go into networking events anymore where ABM is is a um, a phrase that nobody's heard of um, or thinks is just a fad. It's quite clearly here to stay and continuing to grow. So, and it's that that's what brought me back really. Um, um, and it's something that you know really grabbed me. Interesting. Yeah. So, you're ABM experts at Radiate and and. Uh have a platform for it as well. So uh, what what are your thoughts about the real business value and of ABM and why do you think it's becoming a big thing these days for marketeers? Yeah, it's a, you know, when, when I first started looking at this, um, it was the rise of, of content, specifically content marketing and the amount of content that was being created um, just meant that if you were a buyer, it, it really wasn't that pleasant uh, an experience, right? You'd get bombarded with content the minute you shared an email address. Um, you you really weren't seeing any sort of personalization or anything like that um, happen. And there was all this data that was available on the internet that was just not being used by marketers at all. And we felt we could deliver a better experience for the buyer. And that's really what started the conversation off but but since then you know beyond that in some ways what we're seeing is almost a range of different issues that are happening in the industry that are coming together to really push abm as being the answer to it so so yes you've got the rise of, of content and, and and how much is out there but you've also got 
a sales development team which is no longer able to just hit the phones day in, day out without thinking about it. It's much more nuanced, there's much more nurturing going on, it's much more multi-channel. Mm. Um, and then alongside that, you've got an increasingly divergent set of terms that are being used around um, measuring success between sales and marketing. Right? Sales never understood all of marketing's terminology, I mean, MQLs um, and the like. Um, but even then, you've got um, marketers wanting to deliver more and more MQLs, whilst at the same time, the acquisition costs rising, which basically meant if their budgets aren't able to go up, the quality is going to have to go down. Um, and of course, that's what we've seen is the gap between an MQL and what sales want as a lead in SQL um, starting to diverge. And so you put all those things together and you basically create the ideal environment for ABM because suddenly you are personalizing, you are making sure that the, there's a lot of relevance there, you're having to understand the customer. And then on top of that, um, you're having to work with sales. So you can no longer talk in terminology, you've got to talk in sales language, in, in, in real, how are we actually going to um, inform and educate and nurture this, this particular client or this set of clients, depending on what it happens to be. Yeah, so interesting. Really, I totally agree. We have had, you know, going from quite uh, rough ABM setups and campaigns to, to more personalized, more smooth, more, uh, you know, human touches, if you would like yeah. to say. So I, I definitely appreciate yeah. that and can see that transition going on. Uh, so if you get, just can summarize that for, for persons who are a little bit new to the ABM movement or, or area, what is the next wave for a marketeer to catch? And then we can dive into the details there a little bit more. But how would you summarize, you know, you have been trying out a little bit of ABM and what, what's the next wave to catch? Well, look, up until now, the major reason for adoption, um, um, you know, has been that you close deals faster, they, the average contract values are higher, and you know the chances of you closing these deals are, are, are higher. Now, that sort of sparks the initial adopt, adoption, if you like, and, and there's this constant battle, right? So ABM is, is made up of, of multiple strategies, this idea of traditional ABM where you put together a marketing plan for a single company and you work with sales on that one company right the way through to um, clusters of companies, if you like, where they share a familiar characteristic, it could be industry, it could be a, a shared problem, or the many approach where you are taking a large number of companies, but clustering that, but, you know, still relevant in, in some ways, but it's very much more at scale. Mm. Um, now, what we see happening, actually, is very much a case of once you start to adopt ABM successfully, you start to in introduce more and more scale into the program. And actually our most mature clients and, and the most mature um, ABM companies out there start to actually then expand the ABM program back into the demand generation program. So the demand generation pro program before was sitting completely separate to the ABM program. The ABM program would focus on high value, whether it's strategic or revenue um, based prospects and, and demand generation sort of captured everything else but once you start to really um, build scale into ABM program a lot of the techniques that are used you can then start to um, use them again inside your demand gen strategies and then start to really scale um, your your program and so we see a lot of that um, the 
other thing I think that's happening that um, I don't think is as, as often talked about, but is the alignment between sales and marketing. Mm. Um, alignment between sales and marketing gets talked about, but actually what happens on the ground isn't so much talked about, which is um, a subset of the sales and marketing teams coming much closer together. So there's now a period of time where you've got sales development who are nurturing prospects to get into the pipeline. But you've also got marketing nurturing prospects doing exactly the same thing. And there's this overlap in time, a sort of short period um, before the pipeline, where now you've got marketing and sales overlapping in their nurturing. And actually, these two groups should be working extremely closely together on their ABM programs to deliver those nurturing programs in sync. And so we see those teams actually quite often now coming together under a single revenue team with field sales sitting on one side of that and, and more general marketing sitting on the other. Um, and we certainly see that happening more and more. Um, with the most earliest adopters in any case. Mm. That's super interesting. So, uh, uh, yeah, that was actually my follow-up question there. A bit. <laughs> if, if we, you know, we have been talking about the chief revenue officer for a few years, at least yeah. in the marketing <laughs> blogosphere. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing it in reports from, from analyst houses and things like that. This, do we actually see those departments under a CRO role uh, emanate that and starting to happen today? And uh, what do you think about that? You know, I used to be one of the biggest fans of the CRO role um, because I think on paper, it's perfect. It brings these two teams closely together. They're integrated. They're working together hand in hand. And all the research shows that when you do that, the performance of both sales and marketing increases. Um, and so it seems a no brainer. In reality, I don't think it's a good idea anymore, not over the long term for a success for the success of the business. Um, and the reason for that is because at the end of the day, a business is going to thrive based on the revenue it brings in it, Fundamentally, if you don't bring revenue in, you can't invest that revenue, you're not going to be able to grow. So, so the ultimate decision maker in a CRO team is going to be led by sales. Um, and I'm talking about obviously in a B2B context here, right, where, where you have a sales team and a marketing team. And so one of my big worries with a CRO role is that marketing gets more and more diminished over time, because marketing should be looking more long term, it should be worrying about brand, it should be more worrying about markets that it moves into. And all of those areas can be underinvested in because at the end of the day, the CRO, his KPIs, his goal is going to be really first and foremost, deliver revenue. Mm. So in his mind, he's going to, well, if I invest in a sales guy, I'm going to meet my goal because mm. an additional sales guy is going to close more. Right. And obviously there's some caveats that you need market, enough marketing in place, but fundamentally that's what happens over time. Mm. And so, so I don't see it. I, I do think you have a head of revenue ops or revenue team which brings those two small subset groups together. But I, um, and you can argue, I suspect many, many drinks will be shared um, or drank, <laughs> arguing over where that head of person should sit, whether it's in sales or marketing. Um, but you should have definitely a separate CMO and a CSO, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. So long term, that might uh, be a better setup because that's, it's, it's not, uh, 
draining the long-term vision of, of expanding the markets. Yeah, I can understand that. And, and uh, I think that sounds fair. And I'm also a strong proponent of a strong strategic CMO role, which is, I think, definitely needed as well. Since it's also a very big domain to manage, so to yeah. say, to, to be relevant as a manager and insightful to actually know who to recruit and how to drive these things forward. Of course, I mean, there are people <laughs> who handle this, but but I, I suppose uh, it's it's a big area to 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 handle and, and a lot of uh, subsets of it. So yeah, yeah, interesting thoughts. Thanks for that. Um, going into a little bit more details there. So when you work with clients and and you uh, you know go into the trenches together with them, setting up your platforms and either if they call you campaigns or plays or whatever you call it, you, you, you know, yeah. design them together with clients. Where do you see the most interest from clients and where do you do the most work in, in, in a more operational way? Is it, uh, you know, uh, how, how do marketeers today uh, harvest their ABM platforms in the best way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're heavily focused on two parts of the ABM puzzle um, and in fact in two different ways so you've got um, the top of the funnel winning new business that's that's one big part of what we do um, pipeline acceleration is the other big part of what we do um, and it will come as no surprise that most companies come to us first to talk about that net new how do we win more business perspective right um, um, and so that is primarily where we see companies come to us. But we actually also sort of a, a different frame, if you like, um, um, is we focus on two other key areas, which is basically brand awareness within those target accounts, right? Whether it's one account or whether it's a thousand, um, you're able to target those companies uh, with advertising. Um, and that means you suddenly get massive outsized brand awareness that way. Um, and we can talk in detail about that another time. But um, but the other side of it is is that um, sales development reps need to understand the output from everything we do, because what we're trying to do is fundamentally tell sales reps exactly who they should speak to next. And so we bring in data that allows us to predict why actually this company is the best next company to talk to. And this is what you should talk to them about, mm. right? And so those are the sorts of angles that we look at the world through. And, and ultimately, the goal is to really power um, sales development and really um, make them more successful. Um, and sort of one of the fallouts from that is is the fact that um, we also deliver amazing brand awareness as well. Um, that's, that's awesome. Does, so your platform sits together with the CRM system, or is yeah. it more on the marketing automation side, Both. or? Both, yeah. Yeah, both. I mean, I mean, I, I always say that our ultimate user of our platform is really the sales development rep. Mm. Um, the marketing team uses it to um, to do analysis and to understand testing and to work out which companies, um, you know, we should cycle or rotate um, type type stuff. But mm. but ultimately, from a business value standpoint, mm. the sales development rep is the person who gets the most. Yeah, and. Um... 
uh, I'm not an expert in this area. You were obviously one. <laughs> so, but I spent my life thinking about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm trying to catch up a little bit on ABM, of course, as well. And uh, I can see that there are different techniques in order to try to understand uh, and prioritize. Some some are using machine learning. Others, you know, trying to have intent data and cookie-based uh, harvesting and things like that. So, what are your ideas around? How do you prioritize accounts, and what kind of information do you most think is most reliable? And what what kind of data sources do you aggregate from? Yeah, so so I mean, we use a lot of data, both public and private data, um, mm -hmm. whether it's social data, whether it's um, intent data, um, whether it's data from the advertising. I mean, one of the weird things about advertising um, in display networks is it's obviously brand led. Um, which means it's easily ignored. So you may consume the brand subconsciously, but you will ignore it consciously if you have no interest. So the count counter to that, obviously, is if you are interested in a particular topic, you will see that advert. advert. Mm. Um, and so magically, you end up coming to our advertisers' website, either through clicking or indirectly. Um, and that's a really big indicator, actually, mm. that uh, um, um, there's someone worth talking to. So we look for signals in as many places as you can. I mean, in the early days, it's it's um, we don't do it as much at the moment again. But in the early days, we were using even you know sales, uh, sorry, job descriptions, mm. and things like that to to drive intent. Mm. Um, and and so you know, fundamentally, there's so much data out there. Mm. Sales development would spend their entire lives researching, and not making any calls. <laughs> Um, and let's face it, they fail if that's that's the case. So they have to make the calls, and so we try and make it so that they know exactly. They don't have to think about who they call next, and they don't have to think about what they should talk about. Mm. Um, um, that's what we try and do. Awesome. I think that's that's huge. And if you can solve that puzzle, you know, there's a lot of SDRs <laughs> who would like that. Yeah, help. completely. Absolutely. You know, you know, you said you said one of the some of, what one of the things that don't work quite so well right what are the things that clients miss sometimes um you know for me the biggest one there is data mm. so yes we supply data but at some point we have to be given data as well by, mm. by our clients um, and i think one of the biggest things that gets missed is just because we're dealing with a smaller set of data doesn't mean that data is cleaner mm. um in in if anything it can be worse because um you know, if you if you give us a, a list of companies that are in your target um, market, you know, um, you need to know who those companies are. It can't just be a generated list that you don't care about, sort of thing. Mm. You need to know exactly who's on that list and um, their characteristics to some degree. Yeah, this is interesting. I know a lot of marketeers who are sitting on a HubSpot uh, marketing automation platform slash CRM. And, you know, <laughs> the average company is not so tidy. It's, you know, you maybe have some rules, ground rules, but then there's a bunch of people in there messing in around. Some are good at it, some are really bad, and all the way between there. So <laughs> what should a marketing manager do to keep your CRM slash marketing automation platform database tidy so you actually can apply advanced techniques like radiate you know in order to prioritize and save a lot of time for your SDRs or salespeople. you you there's multiple things you have to do one is you have to actually have a process it's not something that you think of ad hoc right mm -hmm. um you need a process and 
you know, we know HubSpot very well. We integrate with HubSpot. Um, you know, they have got uh, deduping capabilities inside the platform that will start to clean the data. Um, you know, the best companies obviously will have someone dedicated to it who literally day in, day out are monitoring the data, cleaning the data. But most companies can't afford mm. to have somebody in, in that role. And so you have to then start to allocate time to doing certain processes. So so that could be reviewing monthly. It could be um, could be reviewing weekly. Um, the key is to stay on top of it. Um, it's when you don't stay on top of it that... Um, the data becomes irreparable, well, not irreparably, but more, much more expensive mm. to clean. Um, um, and we do, you know, so so um, one of the pieces of work that we will do before clients come onto our platform is actually that analysis of the data to start to understand, well, actually, which companies should you be targeting? Mm. Um, and so we often see techniques that... Um, highlight if you like which companies um are lacking in quality mm. um, whether that's through gaps in the data or whether that's through typos or whether that's um, through the source that it came from mm. um, and so you can then rather than having to focus on everything you can actually focus on key parts of your data mm. on a week-to-week -week basis which is much more can sometimes be much more manageable um, and and keep your data much cleaner as a result Awesome. Yeah, I think this this is uh, things that are problems for a lot of <laughs> marketing departments, and also maybe maybe a task that's not so fun to work with uh, as well. So it's it's <laughs> always more fun to call to a meeting to brainstorm the next campaign. You know, <laughs> completely, completely. But so important because it saves a lot of time. It finds signals. It finds patterns. It finds the segments you're going after if you keep it tidy. So there's a lot of hidden value in, in keeping a really good and tight database there. So awesome insights there. Do you work as a sales, marketing or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. So, do you have any examples to talk about when you have seen, you know, a really good value add when you have applied your platform or systems mm -hmm. or best practices to a company you know how much time did it save or what was the outcome or can you give us any insights there well we've been nominated for abm campaign of the year in the past so 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 we've definitely got some stats <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> well, great that's well, a big win yeah. um any range so so I, I remember in fact the one that i always like to talk about is it was the second campaign we ever did um, and um, this was very early on when we didn't have as tight targeting as we have today. Right? Today we can get down to a type of person in a business rather than the whole business. And I remember this campaign, we targeted construction companies. Mm. Now, there's a nice thing about construction companies that I didn't think of at the time, but in hindsight I realised, which is that they're very big companies, so we can target them mm. um, easily enough. But most of their people are actually out on site and not in the head office. 
so the head offices are quite small. So the cost to target the head, the entire company of a construction firm inside the head office is actually quite low. Mm. Um, and I remember with that particular campaign, we drove, I think it was something like 60% of the companies targeted over 12 months to that particular client. But more importantly, within um, the first couple of months, we um, started to see activity across multiple um, satellite offices of one of the major construction firms. Um, to the extent that that construction firm picked up the phone and said, let's have a conversation centrally. Mm. Um, now, the nice thing about that was, or the nice tip about that was, because we were able to target so, so, so tightly, we were able to put an advert on the intranet of <laughs> that particular company's page, which no one else would ever, th you'd never be able to target to that particular spot by any other way, really. And so it meant every time an employee went to that page on their internet, it was a weather widget, basically, with an advert beneath it. There was an ad, and it was like $2 CPM or something. <laughs> right, so, so brilliant. That, I mean, that's, so, wow. so that, that, yeah. was, that was obviously, you know, massive, massive ROI. Yeah. Um, but if you sort of fast forward to today, and we look back, you know, there's some stats that really stand out, right? So every quarter, 20 to 30% on average, of the companies we target will magically appear on our clients' websites. And, and because we know that's what it should be, we can predict when a campaign is likely to, to not reach that criteria oh. or whether it's gonna go beyond. I mean, the best, the best we ever did was a North American campaign to about 100 companies um, and 80% of them turned up on the website within 10 weeks. Wow. Um, now I'd love to be able to repeat that every single time, <laughs> um, but, um, but that, you know, there's always the one that, that sort of stand out. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's um, awesome numbers. So interesting. And, and uh, so cool. So talking a little bit about targeting there, that was very clever to, to find that weather app in the intranet. That was awesome. But what do you see from a targeting perspective? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to know who you want to reach. And another thing is to actually be able to do it. What trends do you see from a targeting perspective? Do you use LinkedIn ABM? Do you see other ways to advertise? Do you, do you use send outs, physical send outs? You know, what, what, what's your tacticals when it's come to executing place? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, and I never thought I'd say this, but I'm a big fan of, of direct mail from, from this, from a B2B standpoint. Mm. Um, we've gone full circle, haven't we, in terms of, um, junk mail versus email um, sort of thing. Email is now the junk and, and, and direct mail is, is now the valued um, uh, receive, you know, receipt. Well, it's nice to receive it, right? So, um, but we don't, we don't get involved on that side um, mm. at all. Um, okay. From an from a advertising targeting standpoint, um, there's a lot going on at the moment. Mm. Um, obviously, third party cookies are looking at being switched off. Google is trying to push through its own system to replace it. Um, and we still don't know um, what will really happen there. Mm. The, the nice thing from our perspective is we built our platform without the use of any third party cookies. So mm. whilst the change may drive opportunity, new opportunity for us in the future, we don't rely on it day to day um, with our with our campaigns. So um, the interest, you know, from our, from what we do, we use IP address as our first step 
excuse me if I like, if you like, and then we start to predict whether somebody who's reading a certain page on the internet um, is likely to be someone from a target persona mm. that we want to reach um, at that company, and that allows us to narrow down to you know in, in companies that are tens of thousands of employees to low hundreds, and so mm. you know very very low cost in terms of um, spend in that situation, um, and. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, at the end of the day, there is a lot of change going on and we, we try and stay on top of it because obviously what publishers do, how publishers change and react to this could have an impact on us. Um, we don't track individuals. We don't think it's necessary, mm. in all honesty. I, I think, you know, in, in this in this ideal world, in, in an ideal world, you would know everything about everybody and in which case we wouldn't really need to live because we knew everything about everybody. So <laughs> it would be boring as anything, right? Um <laughs> Um, but you know, in the B two B world, we don't re we know who our target persona is. We know who our stakeholders are. Um, we should know who our ICP is. You know who who's our target market. Um, and and once you know that, and once you know they're aware of you as a business and they've engaged with you, if they're engaging with you and we think there's interest, that means that there is people within that department that you should be following up with, mm. and it's probably a handful of people even in the bigger enterprises. Um, mm. And yes, there's exceptions, but for the most part. Yeah, awesome. So interesting. So uh, I know you're a busy guy and so forth, but uh, if you're a marketing uh, manager or CMO uh, at a company that, you know, you're trying the waters a little bit on ABM, what should you focus on for 2022 Ooh. or for the coming six to 12 months if you were in a CMO role today? What would you would do? <laughs> Well, I so what would I do today? Well, uh, clearly we're going through another change, and um, if there's one thing that you can be certain about when there's change, is there's opportunity, mm. right? Whether that's starting new businesses or whether and or, or whether it's taking advantage of that change from a marketing perspective, because when things change, people are more aware, mm. right? So, you know, I remember going to an event in September physical events right? for the first time in effectively 18 months. I don't think I've seen anywhere near the number of interested people talking to salespeople on the stands. You know, before COVID, people would, would walk past stands and you were, you were at the optimum distance away that the salesperson wouldn't trouble you, right? That's what used to happen. In September, none of that, right? Because there was change, right? So, so um, and so for me, this year, we're opening up again, there are definitely opportunities, um, both from a, you know, awareness standpoint, from a, an engagement standpoint, uh, that marketers can can um, take advantage of. So short events, obviously, um, the capabilities in terms of knowing who to get to micro events, um, you know, there's going to be more appetite, I think, for um, running the micro events where you've got key prospects coming and talking to them well that's great but if you invite invite 10 people 20 people to a small event and none of them are actually in the pipe going to end up in the pipeline that's quite an, a, a poor investment um, or poor return mm -hmm. and so knowing who to invite obviously becomes important um, and so therefore you're starting to leverage your your marketing spend more effectively Awesome. Thank you for all these insights. Uh, so good to talk to you, Raz. And uh, 
I know that you have a lot of content and, and so forth. So people that want to check you out more or Radiate B2B more, where can we send them, Rias? Uh, best two places, obviously, our website, radiateb2b.com. Um, I probably shouldn't say I live on LinkedIn because I have got a day job alongside it, but um, <laughs> um, but feel free to connect on LinkedIn and I share a ton of my thoughts and others as well um, on LinkedIn around ABM, sales development type topics. Ah, awesome. We'll definitely check that out. And cool. thank you so much for your time. It was awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Really good to meet you. Really enjoyed chatting with you. And yeah, looking forward to seeing more, um, more webinars. Definitely. Cool. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.